Um, all right, so we were in uh, question 58. What is forbidden in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment forbids all unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. We talked about what chastity is, how it's not celibacy, how um, the goal of the Christian life is to more and more love things that are pure and despise things that are not. Uh, so we had gotten down to, we got kind of into the weeds in this discussion of uh, the larger catechisms uh, kind of exploration of the incentives to unchaste thoughts, which were lascivious songs, books, pictures, dancing, stage plays, and the like. Uh, and I think now I just want to kind of close the book on this commandment uh, by looking at many of the proof texts that we find there uh, at the beginning. So it says it forbids all unchaste thoughts, and I need some people. You're going to all have to like uh, double up on things because we are few today. Uh, I need somebody to look up Matthew 5, 28. I'm sure you can guess what that one is. Someone else, Colossians 4, 6. Colossians. And somebody else, get in there. Uh, Ephesians 5. We'll need you in a moment. A couple of times. All right. So the seventh commandment forbids all unchaste thoughts. Let's hear that Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his or her heart. There we go. So, the idea that to keep yourself outwardly clean like the Pharisees, outside of the bowl is very spick and span. Wow, look how holy I am. Look how big my tassels are on my religious garments. Well, inside... There is wickedness and lust. It's the same thing as having already committed adultery in God's eyes, uh, which makes sense that it forbids all unchaste thoughts. Uh, also, a proof text given for that portion of the answer is Colossians 4, 6. That is, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That ought to be an under words, I guess. Certainly, right? Colossians oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so thoughts, words, yeah, let me change that. All right, and also then, uh, we were just looking at this, Ephesians 5, 4, but then keep that one open. We'll need it again in a minute. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Okay, so unchaste words, also dishonoring to God. Uh, and that, that's, uh, the word there is eutropolia, it's a word of much discussion, uh, what exactly it means, um, filthy talk and coarse joking. Um, we're not going to get into, unless someone wants to start a conversation on, on exactly what that constitutes. I wonder what foolish talk is. That's like, who got the rose on The Bachelor last night? Just, okay. It's what, it says in the, it's what it says in the Talmud. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. Fool, foolish talk. Yeah. It seems like maybe puns. Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> um, I mean, maybe I just... crude joking is like crude as in like not sophisticated. Oh, maybe not though. <laughs> Actually, it, it, a pun would fit the wooden definition of that word eutropolia in the Greek because it means easily turned. There you go. Um, but that's not what it meant. Uh, it, meant it meant to take things that, that were not filthy and make them filthy, which is... Uh, that's what she said. There you go. Yeah. We had a long discussion with that on the uh, Dunder Mifflin Theological Seminary Facebook group, if that was the ultimate in, in Utrecht. <laughs> uh, and, of course, 
2 Timothy 2.22, so 2.2.2.2. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So the idea that if you are of a pure heart, blessed are the pure in heart, that you're going to be running away from, fleeing from youthful lusts and desires. Uh, and also, of course, actions. And I think it's interesting that the catechism puts that last. Um, not avoid the actions, oh, and even the words, and then for the real advanced user, even the thoughts. Because, remember, out of the, a man's heart, he speaks, it overflows, so whatever is in your heart, in your head, is, is necessarily uh, going to to uh, make you unclean or not. So uh, what is that uh, Ephesians 5, 3, Kim? But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. You just named it. Nice job. Adultery then happens when lustful desires are entertained and gratified in the mind and, as it were, acted in the imagination. That is from the Westminster Divines. When the lustful desires are entertained and gratified in the mind and, as it were, acted in the imagination. Adultery happens then. That's what Jesus was saying. Uh, giving free reign to thoughts that go against the spirit of the law, whether it be covetous thoughts because you, you know, you're not going to steal your neighbor's car, but you can steal it in your mind for a while and no one will know except God, or thoughts of murder. Yeah, I could just, you know, sit down and just, oh, you can look at my face and tell what I'm thinking right now, but you can't, you know, really confirm it or lustful thoughts, in, in essence, committing theft, murder, adultery uh, in the eyes of God. Uh, who's got Proverbs 6, 16 to 18? Nobody? I know why. I didn't tell anyone to have it. Oh, we got there at the exact same time. Go ahead, particularly 18. So give that one a little extra English when you read it. Start on? 16. 16, okay. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Oh, did I go too far? Usually do. Um, I think we got it. It's all in one little section, so I figured that was I think we got it, though. You gave us a little bonus material as well. Uh, something to chew on later. And, and so the idea of kind of starting and ending, I think, with the mind, the heart, is where you've got to go with this stuff. Uh, the quote I want to read to you here from Dr. Johnson, to a, not, not the Dr. Johnson who was recently here, uh, to attempt to think these thoughts down is madness. Be not solitary when you are idle. Be not idle when you are solitary. The idea that if you are left in just kind of quiet nothing, you're necessarily going to have immoral thoughts pop up, was a very common idea among the Puritans. It's where we get, you know, even like idle hands or the devil's playthings. What are your thoughts on that? Does that follow from all those passages we just read? Does that follow from experience that you have? Does it seem to go in concert with what we read about you know, being still and knowing that 
the Lord is God and, uh, you know, taking time for, now I guess one could say if you're meditating on scripture, you're not being idle. Right. What's the definition of idle? Idle is to be doing nothing. Doing nothing. One of my favorite things. <laughs> right. Well, and it seems that, you know, obviously there is time set apart to stop working for rest and the holy convocation. If you go to someone's house on a Sunday afternoon and see them sitting there in a hammock with a drink in their hand, are you going to go, oh, immoral thoughts? If it's Sean, probably. But, you know, is there necessarily some temptation that's going to pounce into their mind toward... You have to keep your mind busy or else... Right, yeah. Doesn't that imply that God's not renewing the mind? Because if he's renewing the mind, then when I, you know, shift into neutral, it should bend in the direction, you know, my alignment should be uh, oriented in such a way that it's going to go toward godly things. Maybe if, maybe depending on like where you are in your experience and your spiritual walk, there might be times when it would be best for someone not to be totally on their own with nothing to do. Because if they have somebody with them who's a Christian brother or sister, then they can direct them in that direction. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. if you are maybe further along, then you would tend toward those more noble and pure. So maybe it's a difference of uh, immature Christian versus mature Christian, or maybe it's just what season you're in or what moment you're in. I think it is wise to say if temptation is, you know, there to, I mean, we, we read that, or we, we looked at that anthem acronym last week, right? And it was avoid, uh, no, deny, right? Turn away from the sin, uh, hold to Christ, enjoy Christ, and then move on to something helpful, useful. Go to the, your neighbor's house and fix a broken window or do something, you know, anything. Uh, and they say, and even in 12-step programs and things, if you're alone thinking, I don't want to drink right now, you're probably going to wind up drinking. So yeah, when temptation is there, yeah, that's why we have the body of Christ. You know, don't just sit there being idle. You know, do, do something, move into something, of course. But I, I think it's one of the faults, one of the uh, kind of going into the overcorrective opposite ditch of the Puritans to say you must always be industriously busy. You must always be. Um, there was a, a uh, in the catechism, on the catechism by the great uh, Watson, Thomas Watson, um, Puritan preacher, uh, there was a, a question and answer about how one can rob oneself. And there were several ways. And one of them was by um, frivolity uh, on the Lord's Day. You're, you're robbing God and robbing yourself if you just go to worship, but you don't give the whole day in a specific uh, dedication to God and reading the scriptures and singing hymns and prayers and all these things. If you were to say, go on a horse ride or something, they call it horseback riding. I, I, I don't know why you have to specify. That's the part of the horse you're going <laughs> to ride. I, I, I've never seen it done any other way. But uh, that sort of you know, vanity, in his view, as a Puritan, would be wicked and it's going to bring judgment on you. And we look at it and say, well, hold on. Even the Old Testament law says it's set aside for rest and a holy convocation. The holy convocation gathering together to saints, important. Don't start saying to yourself, well, the Sabbath is for men, not man for the Sabbath. There's no reason to go to church. There is reason to go to church. Um, call someone who's not here and tell them later. 
Uh, there's, there's good reason. But, again, once you get into the idea that uh, you have to be continually busy, not idle, you've almost undone the purpose of the Sabbath. And you can... I, I, I think that it's very easy to be you know, lost in your thoughts when you are busy. Like if somebody's just busy with stuff that they always do, mm. it's very easy to think whatever you want. That's not going to keep you from thinking of things. <laughs> you know, if you don't have to focus on how to do something, if somebody is always doing their housework or cooking or gardening or whatever it is, working on their car, and they don't really have to concentrate, their thoughts are going to be doing what their thoughts would be doing anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so as with most kind of ascetic punishing the physical body um, solutions to sin, it falls short. It doesn't address the heart. It addresses the symptom and like a medicine to which maybe over time you would become slowly immune and tolerant of, of whatever is in it. And It would help with the action part if there was something where you were avoiding going somewhere or doing something because you were doing something else, but it wouldn't help. For sure. Well, in, in keeping with the Eighth Commandment, I've, I've used this illustration a number of times because it was such a weird experience for me. Uh, driving down the road or riding in the car when I was about 20, Ed Pikey, who seemed really old at the time, but he's still kicking around, so he probably couldn't have been more than in his mid-60s. He just had kind of an old guy vibe about him. He was from the South, and he had all these funny sayings. And uh, I don't know. I didn't think of him as anyone who would ever be tempted by lust. I just thought of him as like this funny old cool preacher guy who was always so perfect in thought, word, and deed. And we were talking, driving down the road, and at one point he just started praying. And, and I, he was praying for like Claire or just some random name. And I was like, oh my gosh, did like the Holy Spirit just tell this guy something happened to, to a woman that he knows and he's praying for her or he forgot he was supposed to pray for her at this time and now he just remembered. And he gets down and he goes, oh, sorry about that. Uh, I was praying for the jogger who came by. And I was like, oh, you know her? He's like, no, I didn't know her. But I always just pick a name when I see a female jogger and pray for her. Because if I'm praying for her, I won't be tempted to lust after her. Uh, if she ride, you know, runs by in like almost nothing. Now, I'm, now my mind is engaged, not in idle, going, oh, but engaged in something profitable and good, true, noble, pure, excellent, holy, admirable, praiseworthy, all the things we're supposed to be thinking about. Engaged into it and, and turning these things into prayer. How much better is that than bounce the eyes, mm -hmm. right, away? Okay, now I'm not even going to think about this woman. No, now I'm going to think about how I want God to bless her and keep her safe because I saw, uh, you know, I passed a 18-wheeler back there and I don't want her to get hurt when she runs by. Just the, the basic things that bring us back to how we honor God as people made in God's image, that is a good way, I think, to not be idle. But that was in a moment of temptation. Before that, we were, I think, probably in some idle chit-chat I don't know if it was foolish talk. I don't think so. But that's okay. We were spending time just enjoying each other's company. You think every word Paul and Barnabas said to each other on all those intercontinental trips, you know, go over, I guess, uh, intra-Mediterranean trips uh, was, you know, like the deep theology of the Holy Spirit and, you know, like exegeting the Old Testament. I'm sure they were like, oh my gosh, this is taking forever. Oh, but it's not as bad as that storm we went through when you threw up four times over the side, right? Um, I don't know, when you read, um, or when you watch, rather, the, the Chosen, which I've been rewatching season two recently, it occurred to me, because I was thinking about this stuff, that 
the Puritans would hate it because Jesus is seen to like joke with people and say things that are like wasted words, quote unquote, and, and you know, kind of just like enjoy his life. And the, the Puritans did enjoy their lives. They did have a place for even drinking alcohol and feasting together and things. They enjoyed, they weren't prudes, they enjoyed sex in the context of marriage and they enjoyed life and they enjoyed food and they enjoyed the, the, the world. But there was always this undercurrent of kind of guilt of, hold on, shouldn't we be in every way the opposite of idle all the time? Except when we're sleeping and we only sleep as much as we need to to function so that we can be even less idle the next day. I think that's a really common experience of life now like in the evangelical circles, especially for women. Really? Yeah. Why especially for women? I don't know. I don't know why, but like there's there's always this... I know why. Proverbs 31. Yeah. That probably. lady was up at the break of dawn, buying fields, selling them, just... Over the past like couple decades, I think there's been a lot of that kind of pressure. Um, and you, you see it with people who are, you know, bloggers or they are, you know, podcasters or whatever. And, and then you see this like whole slate of books that is pushing against that. But I think mm. that you ha- the reason you have those books pushing against that is because it's a big problem. <laughs> Especially women with lots of kids who feel like they have to like make homemade everything and homestead on a farm because that's more holy than going to admire or, you know, whatever, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know if that any longer is even connected to the, the Seventh Commandment and whether <laughs> idle minds and hands will necessarily fall into sin, but probably a little bit. Like, at the core, if we trace back historically the, the kernel of this, it's keep yourself unpolluted by keeping the old mind busy and the young hands busy, and, you know, that's, that's how you do this. Um, perhaps that is a selective strategy, but ultimately we should be able to let our minds drift and and know that they will light on the goodness of God or something that is good in creation or, you know, I mean, how often have you been letting your mind wander and remembered someone you were supposed to pray for or someone you could help? That happens to me a lot in the course of my work. So, yeah, that's that's one of these times I think when we we study this because we do trust the Puritans to to have a very God-centered, Christ-centric view of the world uh, and what we should believe. But sometimes we have to stop and say, hold on, they were also a product of their time. They were also overreacting as we tend to do something, uh, which was a world where, you know, you show up for the pomp and show, uh, you get your cracker and your bit of juice, and then you go out and cheat people and and fornicate, do whatever you want. They were pushing back against that. You can see how they wound up where they did. Uh, Let's go on to 59, which is uh, what is the Eighth Commandment, or rather, which is the Eighth Commandment? Uh, The Eighth Commandment is... Thou shalt not steal. We're not going to do the whole thing. What's what's the finger motions for for Eighth? Yes, it's it's really awkward because you'd really need to use your thumbs to make these, which yeah. would make it ten. You can't use the thumbs. You got to just go like that. I use my thumbs. That's nope. right. That's you can't unless you remember just that it's eight. I don't know, but that's that one. And Margaret, I need full participation over here. I can see you in the back. So it's just like that. Um, there you go. So now you're a robber. Thou shalt not steal. Uh, Old timey sermon illustration. Mr. Samuel Fairclough. F-A-I-R-C-L-O-U-G-H. 
Fairclaw, Fairclaw, at 13 years of age, hearing his godfather, Mr. Samuel Ward, preaching on restitution from the instance of Zacchaeus, and often repeating that the sin was not forgiven unless what was taken were restored, was so touched with remorse for the robbing of an orchard that after a restless night, he went to a companion of his who was guilty of the same crime and told him that he was going to Mr. Jude, the owner, to carry him 12 pence of his three penny worth of pears, of which he had wronged him. His companion, fearing whipping from his master, answered, Thou talkest like a fool, Sam. <laughs> you know, how kids talk. <laughs> for God will forgive us ten times sooner than old Jude will forgive us once. But Sam, being of another mind, went to Jude's house, confessed the injury, and offered the money. Jude pardoned him, but would take no money. This grieved him more, upon which he made application to his spiritual father, Mr. Ward, and opened to him the whole state of his mind, who received and treated him with great kindness and attention. I think in here is also a great lesson about how older men uh, can disciple younger men and teach them about grace and uh, forgiveness and that sort of thing by example. Uh, but making restitution, that we'll get back around to that later in the discussion here. Is that the end of the story? It is, yeah. Oh. What did you think? Was, yeah. I then, the guy was going to say something to him. Then the guy bought him a car. <laughs> no. Well, what about the guy who was getting whipped? He went to hell. <laughs> I mean, according to Mr. Samuel Ward, preaching on restitution, who said the sin can't be forgiven unless you make it. I don't know what happens if you steal money from somebody, later get convicted, and the guy's dead and has no heirs. Now what? Uh, no forgiveness for you, I guess. Uh, there is a sub-question in the catechism on the catechism because I heard you like catechisms, so I put a catechism in your catechism so you can learn while you learn. Is it necessary that there should be such a command? I love that. Do we really need this one? Can we lose this one? Do have that for all the other ones? Is it necessary? There is for several of them. Oh, okay. uh, I just like the answer. Yes, for every brother will utterly supplant. And the text given is Jeremiah 9.4, let everyone beware of his neighbor, but put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Jeremiah 9.10? 9.4. 9.4. Huh. Wow. Bleak. Yeah, a little bit. But there does need to be such a command, certainly. Um, we have a number of texts here. I'm just going to read the proof texts uh, real quickly, or a couple of them. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.8, But if any provide not for his own, and specifically for those of his house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Uh, Proverbs 21.6, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro that seek death. And of course, we already read uh, Ephesians 4.28, let him, oh no, we didn't, we read 5.3. Uh, Ephesians 4.28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Uh, let's move on to question 60, which is where we get into the uh, kind of how and why of it. What is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? Everybody together. The Eighth Commandment forbids whatever does or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. What a strange answer. That is strange. Starting with our own. Uh, Thomas Watson said this, as the holiness of God sets him against uncleanness in the command, thou shalt not commit adultery, 
So the justice of God sets him against rapine and rapine and robbery in the command, thou shalt not steal. The thing forbidden in this commandment is meddling with another man's property. Yeah, yeah. You, you should not meddle with another man's property, or apparently your own. Uh, certainly there are different categories, and all of the old-timey sources I always look at for these uh, catechism questions wanted to spend time breaking down theft into different subcategories. Uh, one of them was, um, you know, strong-arm robbery always, you know, where you... Like the the guy who was rescued by the Good Samaritan. He's just walking down the road. He gets jumped. He gets beaten. They even steal his clothes. They leave him naked and bleeding. That's one kind of, of uh, breaking of the fourth commandment. The other is, is theft uh, of a sneak thief variety, right? A great example of this would be Judas, right? We, we're told just in a parenthetical, like obviously you knew this, but I'll confirm it for you anyway kind of way. Uh, when he objects to the breaking of the alabaster, the, 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 the uh, jar of alabaster nard and, and pouring it on the uh, feet of Jesus. He's like, oh, we could have gotten so much money if we bought this and helped the poor. Uh, and of course, it says he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and was pilfering from their common purse for himself. Uh, that, that he was a thief. He was breaking the fourth commandment without anybody, you know, stick him up, your money or your life. He was just here and there lining his own pockets, but stealing then from the other apostles and from Jesus himself. And I don't think it's a coincidence that not long after Satan enters into him, he's kind of paving the way for the guy and leaving the door open by this secret uh, crime, which almost, it, it is not, you know, quote unquote, victimless apart from himself, like say lust is, what are you doing? You're seeing against your own body, according to the scriptures and, and hurting yourself. Uh, you are hurting the victim that you steal from, but it almost is a similar kind of, you know, if you're stealing from someone who won't even notice it, you hear that a lot. Like, yeah, he won't even notice I take this here. It's nothing, that guy's so rich or I'll take this. My boss doesn't even notice if I take home several reams of paper, you know, to, to print out my fan fiction. Hey, we've got so, we have paper coming on our ears. It's, and, and you know, I got gypped on my overtime one time, so let me take it. That it, it's a, a private secret thing that then poisons you within, right? And, and uh, even like taking some three penny of pears for a young Samuel Fairclaw uh, was because he was filled with the spirit and a, a pious young man horribly troubling to him and he couldn't sleep because now there's this secret. Another example of someone doing this, it's not gonna be noticed is, I, I don't know why I go off into the story of Achan um, I just think it's fascinating. You remember this story during the conquest in the book of Judges. They're supposed to do what with the city of Jericho after the walls come tumbling down? Right. It was called in the King James Bible, the ban, uh, meaning everything is to be destroyed. Normally it would be you get as much booty, you know, you, you take spoils of war and you bring it on back, whatever you can carry. No, all of it is devoted to God for destruction because the reason you're here now is because the sin of the Gentiles is full and he's punishing them. Uh, and he doesn't want the, the stuff that was causing them to sin and tripping them up to now infect his people. But there's one guy, Achan, in the midst of going through the city, he sees, do you remember what he sees? Gold, silver, and? Clothes. Wasn't there clothes? A sweet Babylonish garment. 
Uh, and he <laughs> takes it all, and he like must have stuck it in his his tunic or something somehow. Maybe he pretended he was wounded. Who knows how he got it out of there? In the chaos, he brings it back to his tent, and he buries it. Now, apart from God, is anyone ever going to know this is missing? No, because it would have been burned up anyway. This is probably also how Saul is thinking in the matter of Agag and stuff. So um, he, he buries it, and what happens? It finds him out. It poisons not only his own spiritual state, but you know, kind of renders his life uh, moot, and his family dies as well because they get wrapped up in the whole even thing. Before that, affects the whole nation. Right? Yeah, they lose the battle at eye. Right? You remember that? They they think we can just run right up and we'll be invincible again, and they're like arrows. What? Ow! And they go and they leave, and like thirty-five people or something are killed in that in that aborted attempt at, at taking the city of Ai, which was just a little a little city. You know, right? Uh, not not a, another Jericho. Um, these are examples, I think, of how the little thing, and the same thing is often presented for children about lying, right? A little, a little thing that seems like no big deal. I can just sort of put it under the surface. I can deal with it, can tend to have these ripple effects. And so when we talk about the Eighth Commandment, it's easy to think, well, this is, this is talking about theft, robbery, right? Stealing, not... A little milking of the clock here, a little fudging of the tax forms there. You know, what's the government going to spend my money on anyway? Just waste it so I can spend it better, right? God knows that I'm, I'm wiser than... We have all these games we could play, but ultimately, it's not going to be some victimless thing that maybe I just spout off a prayer of, oh, oh yeah, sorry about that, Lord. Making restitution becomes involved. Guilt... Um, the relationship between us and God is affected, as you see in both the Judas scenario and the Achan scenario. Uh, in, in the restitution in the Achan scenario was, we're going to stone this guy to death, take all of his stuff that he stole and all the stuff he owns, pile it on top of him, burn them, and then bury it all with rocks. Very Old Testament solution to the problem. Um, like a typical Wednesday then. But, but with, with Judas, what, what's the end result? seems to be his greed in some way that leads him... I mean, he takes the 30 pieces of silver. Again, who will know? Uh, it's blood money. Hands over Jesus, and at the end of the day, little sins inside of him seem to kind of ramp up and grow until he's hanging dead. And then there's that epilogue in Acts. After he hangs himself a little while later, he explodes, and his guts go flying out like a pinata. That's the message. That's not the NIV. Um... <laughs> It never comes to anything good. And yet, there's often, I think, the temptation, even for good people, you have uh, experiments that have been done. That you, you see, like, people who would never have gone to jail for extortion or embezzlement or anything like that, if presented with this opportunity, what am I going to do? They often, I got I to gotta grab it. I got to take the money. I think that there's, I think that's just like, that's... Do you live by principle or are you a pragmatist, right? Because mm -hmm. that's always what it is, right? That would be, well, this would be better for this reason or whatever. You, you rationalize something that you wouldn't, if you were stuck with the principle, I'm just never going to do that. Then. There was a terrible 80s movie that Aaron and I watched. It was terrible because even though it had John Cusack and had the late James Gandolfini, <laughs> who was great on TV but ruins movies, but uh, it was about a true story 
where there was, through this weird series of mishaps, a big bag of a million-some dollars. Was it in New Jersey? It was in New Jersey. Uh, just fell out of an armored truck. Like, ba-boink, ba-boink, hit like, the release thing. It really happened. And this guy was driving behind it, stopped, grabbed it, put it in his car, and just kept going. And the movie did convey the, the actual uh, playing out of the story, how it just slowly ruined this guy's life. Uh, and he wound up. And everyone around him. And yeah, it sunk everyone around him with him. And it was almost like another story of Aiken. And it didn't start with, ooh, I want to do something bad. It started with, I want to drive to work. Oh, opportunity. Opportunism again. Yeah, very, very good, uh, I think, distinction there. Uh, but ultimately, this will be a curse. Uh, Zechariah 5, verses 3 to 4. You might want to write that down. Um, Zechariah 5, 3 to 4. Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goes forth over the face of the whole earth, for every one that steals shall be cut off. As on this side, according to it, I will bring it forth, says the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief. Uh, this curse that he's going to bring into the, the house of the thief. Now we might say, hold on, let's think about covenant and how it works, God's blessings and curses uh, in the New Testament era. Um, I'm speaking in general terms that there's no small theft. There's only curse or no. Uh, again, Thomas Watson, I've been reading a lot of Watson this week. Uh, first, The first use of this uh, commandment is for the confutation of the doctrine of community, that all things are common, and one man has the right to another's estate. This is confuted by Scripture. When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's corn, Deuteronomy 23:25. Property must be respected. God has set his eighth commandment as a hedge about a man's estate, and this hedge cannot be broken without sin. If all things be common, there can be no theft, and so this commandment would be in vain. So apparently there were some hippies in the 17th and early 18th century that were a problem. I think every once in a while, though, you do get people who want to grab onto like Acts 2.44, that the apostles had all things in common, uh, and say, oh, for Christians, we don't, we don't have to worry about this stuff. And yet... Again and again, not only in the Old Testament, but reiterated in the New, is a command not to steal. Which is, um, I mean, I guess you'd have to say, don't steal from people outside the church. I mean, it becomes, essentially, if everything is everyone's and and we're returning to some truer form of uh, communal living in which everyone just lets go of their possessions and shares everything with everyone, as if that were not descriptive of something that happened, but prescriptive of something that should happen, then the order not to steal, the warnings not to steal become nonsense, right? He is on to something. It's just weird that he says that is the first use. Obviously, there was something in Tommy's craw about people who wanted to appeal to Acts chapter 2. Another form that always comes up uh, of breaking the Eighth Commandment is cheating, uh, where one might want to draw a distinction. Well, it's bad, but not quite as bad as, for example, stealing. Uh, cheating is, in effect, theft. I mean, even if you copy the test of the kid next to you in class, you've stolen the grade. You might steal credit for something. You might steal a promotion that belongs to someone else. Whatever you're doing by, che- by cheating, it almost always will include some manner of theft. 
Uh, someone flip over, if you would, to Micah chapter 6, and we'll look at verses 10 and 11. No one knows where Micah is. I know generally where it is. Oh, but I don't know Micah name. Micah name? Micah 6? Yeah. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? So there was cheating going on, and that's often a, a gripe of the prophets, right? When the powerful cheat the poor by having, oh yeah, no, this is an ephah, but it's not. You know, like when you buy a gallon of milk, or I guess a gallon's a gallon, but when you buy like a jug of something and then you look at the bottom and there's this big, weird, like convex section and you're like, that's not as much peanut butter as you made me think I was buying. Um, or having weights that you have to keep stacking and stacking or if you're selling, you know, the opposite. So that it, it's going to come out in your favor every that's time. That's why the Baker's doesn't exist because Baker's were notorious for not giving people um, what they actually paid for. Really? And yes. I learned this from my History of English podcast. Ah. Yeah. So they started... That was their restitution. Yeah. Like, they, well, it was like, I better do this or I'm going to be prosecuted for something. So they would put an extra thing in. Huh. Make sure it weighed what the person thought they were getting. Well, you know what? My waistline doesn't thank them. <laughs> what a weird thing to say. All right. Um, further, I, I assume no one wants to push back on cheating being bad, right? <laughs> I, think, I think what's interesting is in our day where, you know, you're not getting actual things. I think people make other reasons in their mind why it's okay, like, well, the whole, like, downloading music thing. Mm, okay. You know, like, it's not a real thing. It's just data or whatever. Did you ever Google your book title? Oh, it's terrible. People are... It's insane. Yeah. Stealing all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Because they think, well, you know, the publisher doesn't mean... Well, no, but, like, every person who works on yeah, this thing... Yeah, I worked hard on that. Can I have my buck? Like the piracy stuff in front of movies. You know, people think nothing of, you know, downloading movies that they didn't actually pay for. Do you remember, though, the one from before DVD movies? It would show like a, it was really the 90s. 90s. Yeah. It'd be like, a guy would like this. yoink a purse and it'd say, you wouldn't steal a purse. Right, right. It was like, da 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 It was like all that jumpy like yeah. Fight Club font. Yeah. And it was like, you wouldn't steal a car. And it shows a guy get a car and drive away. So why would you steal right. it? I think it was about like buying like uh, pirated DVDs on the right. streets of yeah. New York or something. But, but I mean like even, even the thing where, you know, a, a journal or a newspaper has a paywall. And oh, don't do not do that, Aaron. <laughs> but nobody wants to pay for anything. Everybody thinks everything should be free because of the See, internet. I was with you in your, your self-righteousness until you got to something that I once in a while do. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I, I know it's not right. I, I'm a sinner. I don't know if anyone, 16 years as pastor, I don't know if you figured that out. But like, if, if you can hit stop on the loading before the paywall pops up, I figure, eh. They shouldn't have designed it that way. Which is essentially like saying, if you don't want me to steal your money, you should have put it in a better safe. Right? right? It's clear what but they're trying all, to do. Give you a taste of the article like and then say you have to yeah. pay for the rest. A journalist like actually spent time yeah. and wrote it, and that's their livelihood. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, which is, it is stealing. Uh, I mean, and once in a while I have to remind myself of that. Uh, 
because we live in a world where that's become so normalized, just kind of getting everything for free, we'll and the sense that I'm owed yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, but even we, we complain about the fact that now there's all these different streaming services, so you can't get everything from the thing you're already paying mm -hmm. for, so you look for ways to, like, okay, I'll do the free trial and then quit. You know, that's probably not stealing, but... I think it's just being sly. You automatically look for the way to get something for free. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, which is kind of a heart that defaults toward the opposite of the sort of industrious work with your hands, pay for what you have. Right. Sean. Why do they allow libraries? <laughs> <laughs> I've often wondered that myself. Well, libraries used to be something that you had to pay to be part of. The free library was a more recent um, thing. The libraries buy the books. I don't know. It was one lawsuit. It was one lawsuit that said, um, you, I mean, you, you can't share this thing. Right. I own the copyright, so therefore, and they're like, no, 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 you own the copyright. We're not copying it. Right. We're lending it. And it was just decided, uh, I think it went to the Supreme Court, didn't it? I remember reading about the history of that. And, and when you get down to like a personal level, if you like a book and you know somebody who would like it, you usually loan it to them or give it to right. them. And they'll probably buy the person's next book, right? Or or, yeah. or they'll go to the library. Yeah. Uh, it's actually, you know, Erin does library events for her books all the time. You should be boycotting these. You should get on there and go, you people make me sick. <laughs> None of you bought my book. You took it out from the library. What's interesting, though, is if you go to a library and do an event, you sell a lot of books. Mm, if you can there go there, you can't go there yet. Yeah, right. Yeah, libraries are the yeah, last to reopen. All these Zoom events are all free. <laughs> I, I think all this is just kind of re-emphasized that there's a seed of this in everybody, right? Uh, well, it's very easy. When you ask people, you know, will you go to heaven or some of these questions that are sometimes, uh, I don't think they work as well anymore as they used to, but uh, segue into talking about the gospel and things. The general response is I haven't killed anybody. I haven't robbed any banks. The idea I haven't. I, I'm not that guy. When Ray Comfort walks people through the Ten Commandments to show them that they've broken them all, when he gets to, have you ever stolen anything? People usually go, no. And he goes, value's irrelevant. And they go, oh, e. And even if they say no then, he starts saying, you know, have you cheated your way into getting something or have you pretended to be at work when you were really buying, you know, tickets to go see Destiny's Child at Pine Knob or something. Um, but I mean, the fact that he knows that that's how he can show, that particular commandment is probably the easiest one for him to show people you have broken this command. Mm. Whereas we would think like, oh, well, of course I haven't stolen anything. But yeah, that's interesting. Um, I guess we should stop there. There's the, I want to get into an interesting discussion, kind of uh, case study-ish kind of thing, but... Let's first, uh, let's put a pin on it. We'll, we'll have more time next time if we do. So uh, let's go to Lord in prayer and then be on our way. I am excited. We're starting a new series. I'm starting a new series. You're hopefully with me uh, on the book of Esther this morning. Uh, so let's uh, get in there with acute minds, have an extra cup of coffee, sharpen your pencil, and uh, let's go to Lord in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day, yet another gorgeous, gorgeous day a uh, gift from you. Lord, please give us, uh, as we go out into it, a sense, not that we have to be always busy, but Lord, that it's, every gift, being a gift from you, is something we should first return thanks for and then use to your glory. Lord, that there wouldn't be wasted days. Uh, we may not become 
temporal bean counters and worry about wasting seconds uh, doing nothing, Lord, that we would recognize we have freedom in you to, to rest and to enjoy our lives. But Lord, uh, we pray that this would be a day that we uh, have gathered together with the saints for encouragement, for opening your word, for praising you, for really being present here with you, Lord. Uh, and also hopefully for spending time either in solitude or together with others, um, just enjoying the fact that you've given us a wonderful life and a, a wonderful place to live and uh, here in, in Michigan. And Lord, surrounded us with beauty. Lord, we pray that you would be uh, honored in the way we conduct ourselves today. Uh, we pray also that we would not break the, the seventh commandment this week, whether in thought, word, or deed, and that we would not break the eighth commandment uh, by stealing, pilfering, cheating, or uh, any of the rest. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would just keep our hearts more and more sensitive, that our consciences would not be seared, that we would not find ourselves uh, not hearing from the Holy Spirit, not feeling the conviction of sin because we've so many times ignored it. Lord, we pray that you would exfoliate our souls so that we would be newly uh, sensitive to uh, the, the prick of conscience and the, the leading of the Spirit. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.